it's irresistible. It's done. It's been given to you. You can't give it back. Now walk in the newness of spirit. But I have to walk in this flesh and I'm going to make mistakes. Then get up and do it again. But what if I make a mistake? Get up and do it again. When will this be over? It'll be over when it's over, but it's not over. Get up and do it again. All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started this morning here. Father God, thank you. Lord, thank you so much for this church, for these believers that come Sunday after Sunday. Lord, they, they come seeking you, Father. Lord, we want to be part of a, a biblical church that seeks to honor you. Lord, we, we want to be a light to the world around us. Father, you have uh, blessed us with a building. Lord, we, we seem like a weak church, Father, compared to what man's standard is. Lord, we don't own our own building. We don't have a dedicated pastor. We were, our congregation's small. But Lord, you are, you are able to do many great things through this church, Father. Lord, it's not in vain we sing little as much when God is in it. So Lord, I ask that you would just be here today, be in this uh, message and this preparation that was done. And Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to your people, that you would encourage your saints, and that this would be done for your glory, Father. Amen. All right. So as some of you may have noticed, I didn't send out uh, the chapter and verses that I would be going over until late last night. And that was because I didn't know what chapter and verses I would be going over until late last night. The Lord saw fit to kind of bring me down to the wire as far as preparation with uh, being sick and kind of an, an overbooked weekend. It seemed like we did have enough time dedicated and set aside um, and then we found out a friend had a family member pass away, and we had to kind of drop everything and race down to San Antonio and spend some time with them and, and um, mourn with those that mourn, as the word says. And, and uh, it seemed kind of kind of ironic that it that it was it was taking away from the study time to go and, and minister to this brother that's just hurting because of a family member, and I just couldn't convince myself that telling him. I'm sorry that you're grieving, but I have to stay home and study. That didn't seem like what the Lord would have had me do. But in getting back from that late and studying, it really seemed like the Lord blessed this time. So I am definitely not confident in my preparation and in my study and in that I got to read all the commentaries I wanted to read, um, but I'm, I'm confident in the Lord's provision. So we will see what the Lord has for us today. And, uh, and, that, and in that, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Um, so I'm going to... I'm going to pick up where I left off last time. If you remember last time, I started Galatians 5. I only made it through the first 12 verses. So today we are going to start off in verse um, 5.13. And I'm going to, again, read through the whole chapter of Galatians. Um, these are the same verses I sent in the, uh, in the group chat. And I do believe we're going to finish Galatians 5 today, which is uh, it's very helpful. So um, starting off Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, why I have mentioned this a few times through going through the Galatians, I want to kind of bring focus here by, by way of reminder. Paul is, has been, um, Paul has been really laying into the Galatians for like the last four plus chapters. I think verse 13 and, and 5 is kind of when he transitions away from his rebuking and correcting but he's really been harsh with them. Um, but you'll notice one thing he has not done with them. He has not called them lost. He has not called them unbelievers. In fact, he's actually done the opposite. He's called them brothers, and he's used language like we and us and put himself in their same camp. And I'm going to go over some of those examples from Galatians just to kind of bring it fresh to our mind. Um, in Galatians uh, 3.15, he calls them brothers. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Um, in Galatians 3.24, he uses the word we and kind of puts himself in the same situation they are in. Galatians 3.24, uh, starting in 24. So then, the law was our guardian until, was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Going further down to chapter 4, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. <clears throat> you did me no wrong. Later on in chapter 4, verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then one more time in chapter 4, verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And then starting off where we did last week in verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Chapters 11, uh, verse 11 from last week. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the God of the cross has been removed and where we started today for freedom brothers and we're not going to get to it today but it begins chapter 6 with brothers so in the galatians letter that paul is writing he is really driving home the point that they are brothers he corrects them he rebukes them he puts the law where it's supposed to be and 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 corrects the teaching he explains things but it's almost as if he's kind of trying to like raise them up through his words, to where they're supposed to be. Like, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be here. Not, you guys have fallen away and you, don't, and, you're not, and you have no part in Christ, but more like, all right, come on, brothers, this is where you're supposed to be. And I say it's a transition because he has been changing that, and this is 
chapter 5, verse 13, is where he kind of starts the how you live this out. Um, but one point real quick is we, we know that in Scripture, repetition, something that's being said over and over again, is really used to drive home a point. One of the most um, obvious examples of that is Isaiah 6, 3, and it says, One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That repetition of the word holy is to really let the reader know that God is holy, but he's a different kind of holy. He's a holy that there's nothing else that associates with it. He's the three times holy God, and and you need to understand that that's very unique. And although it's not a direct um, example, the fact that he keeps calling them brothers through the entire letter does really repeat the fact that he wants them to know, your brothers, now now come live this way. Um, And he's, he's not... He's not afraid to put himself in that camp. He doesn't want to separate himself from the Galatians. And even though he's firmly, firmly rebuking them for falling in error, um, it, he's telling them, like, look, you didn't believe the teaching that I brought. I didn't bring man's gospel. Um, I brought what was given to me through Christ. Paul goes through great lengths to say, what I'm teaching you isn't man's gospel. I didn't get it from any man. I got it from Christ. This is the authentic, genuine gospel. So Paul is, is kind of as a little bit of a summary up to this point, really labored to make it known, you were given the truth, you've fallen away from it, let's get back on track. But he also takes special care to let them know that he's dealt with the people that they're dealing with. When he went to go visit the apostles, he talks about having met members of the circumcision party and not submitting to them, not, not yielding to them at all. So he's, he's telling them, I know what you're up against. He's even telling them, look, I've seen people fall because of these guys. He tells them that he had, to, he had to rebuke an apostle because when these guys came around, he fell and started acting hypocritically. And Paul isn't doing this to say, look at me, I'm the greatest. I'm the one that has stand. I'm the one that stood in, in the face of all this adversity. No, Paul's saying, I get it. I know what these guys bring in. They sneak in. They creep in to spy out your freedoms. And they bring heresy with them, and it's, and it's, it's something you really got to fight with. I had to fight them, and I've seen people fall with them. He even says that Barnabas was led astray, Paul's right-hand man, and he started acting hypocritically because of this teaching that came in. So it, it's not a small thing to have to deal with these guys, and Paul doesn't write them off immediately because they've started to struggle and accept this teaching. Um, he's telling them, I get it, you know, even Peter fell. But this isn't, this isn't Paul calling Peter an apostate. This isn't Paul saying, yep, Peter's lost. He, he, no, I rebuked him. He got, he got up, he repented, and he kept going. And now we see Peter through church history as Peter, you know, as, as who we, we love and respect. And we're going to read you know, Peter at some point. Um, and, and while the Bible does give us an example of Paul and Barnabas disagreeing on something so fundamentally that they had to separate and go their separate ways, this isn't that issue. We're assuming that Barnabas repented and kept going because this wasn't what separated them. We find that in Acts 15, and I'm going to imagine sometime this fall, Chris will, will go over that with us. Um, so in, in addition to... Uh, being, gent- being harsh with the Galatians, Paul is also making it known how much he loves the Galatians. He, he is really, really desiring for them to get this, to, for them to live at this higher calling that they have been called to. And he is um, t- 
telling them even to the point where he says, I, I am in the anguish of childbirth with you. You know, like I, I am suffering until Christ is formed in you. And this isn't somebody who's abandoned them or this isn't a telling them off letter. This is a, come on guys, don't you get this? And Paul recognizes how harsh he has been with these people. He tells them, I wish I could change my tone with you. Like I get that what I'm bringing is harsh. I get that what I'm bringing is heavy. But come on, guys, you really need to get this. It's life and death that we're talking about here. I can't pull any punches. It's my love for you that prevents me from pulling any punches. Um, so, so what we see now and what we're going to get into today is Paul kind of shifting gears from rebuking, correcting them to exhorting them, to encouraging them. And I'm going to go off topic for just a second here. And it's just because of... Um, because Christianese is a hard language to crack if you haven't been raised in the church. Um, Kendra and I got to do foster care for the first, um, for the first couple years of our, of our marriage. We only stopped like two years ago. And uh, in that time, we had lots of kids come through the house and teenagers. We, we kind of specialized in teenage girls for a season there. And one of the best things about it was we got to introduce these children that were raised in terrible homes to the gospel, to Jesus. And they would come from, you know, weird backgrounds where they would know of Jesus because they're Americans and they know what Christmas is or they know what, you know, the nativity scene is, but they wouldn't really understand things. So we had to have great conversations with these kids. And being part of our family meant they did what we did. And one of those things was we went to church every Sunday. And a lot of conversations sparked from just going to church I remember one particular Sunday, we visited San Antonio. We visited the San Antonio church. Tim was preaching, and he was preaching on Song of Solomon. I had not heard many sermons on the Song of Solomon, so I, you know, notepad, pen, kind of, okay, let's, let's go through this. And a couple minutes into the sermon, I look over, and our teenager is sitting there listening. You know, she wasn't being disrespectful, but just a blank look on her face. And you could tell she didn't really understand what was being said. And I, in that moment, I kind of thought, she probably doesn't understand what these words mean. Like, they make sense to me. I've been raised in church. Even when I was lost, I would go to church. So I started writing down. Anything time Tim would say a word that I didn't think she would understand, I would write it down. You know, what repentance, regeneration, uh, you know, whatever he said, I would write it down. At the end of church, you know, on our way to McDonald's or wherever we went for lunch, I was like, hey, did you understand what, what he said? And she's like, not really, No. And I was like, okay, I have a list of words I thought maybe were, you, you might have not understood. She had a good spirit about it, and we went through the list. And I think like 40 words I had written down, and she maybe understood like 30 of them, 35 of them. Or sorry, she didn't understand 30 or like 35 of them. So when I, when I do like little pause breaks and I define a word, and it seems to you like, well, of course I know what exhortation means. I have been terrified and always paranoid of being in front of people and speaking and using a Christianese term, throwing it out there, and somebody not knowing it, being too embarrassed to say it. So when all the long example to say, like, when I throw out a definition to a term, it's not because I'm, like, questioning the intelligence of the Grace Church Austin members. It's just because, like, I don't want someone to have a stumbling block over not being able to understand some of these terms. And exhortation for us is a very common term, but for in, in the outside of the church, when's the last time you heard that word? So, so that being all of that explanation... Paul is shifting to exhort the Galatians, and I'm going to use my Webster's 1913 to define exhortation. So exhortation is the practice, or the act of practice of exhorting, the act of inciting to laudable deeds, incitement to which is good or commendable. And no, I didn't know what laudable meant either, so I looked that one up. And laudable 
means worthy of being lauded, praiseworthy, commendable, laudable motives. So that laudable is, is a, like a verbal praise, a verbal expression. So what Paul is doing is he is trying to like stir these people up to good works, to commendable works, to praiseworthy works. And he does that by starting in verse 13. So um, now that we've kind of transitioned and we know where we're at, in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul is doing more than just telling the Galatians what not to do. He's trying to incite them to good because being a Christian isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. It's freedom to behave in such a way that the Spirit leads you. It's a freedom to do good and to love your neighbor. Um, there's, There's this false assumption of freedom. And if you've ever seen debates, especially on like liberal campuses where they talk about freedom and, and like what freedom is, and you just hear these just horrendous definitions of like, well, I can do whatever I want. Freedom is I can, whatever I'm capable of doing, I can do it and there's no consequences. That, that's not how the Bible defines freedom at all. Like the Bible doesn't say you're free, so therefore you can do, you know, anything. Like Paul specifically says you're He says, for you are called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So even with this freedom, there's a a parameter in which it's supposed to be used. And that's what, that's what Paul is getting at. And that's, that's kind of why I titled my message, freedom to walk in the spirit. That's, that's what our freedom is for. Our freedom is so that we can walk in the spirit. So we, we want to have an appropriate view of what this freedom entails for the Christian. If not, you can get in the weeds to, oh, I'm free to do this, or I'm free to do that. And it's not a freedom to live in a way contrary to the gospel. It's freedom to live completely towards the gospel, completely towards the Spirit of God dwelling in you without restriction. Because your freedom is for others. And that's what Paul says. He says, um, don't use your freedom for your own flesh, but use your freedom to serve one another. So, but through freedom, but through love, serve one another. So your freedom is not for you. Your freedom is for others. Um, and Christ gives us an example of that. In Matthew 20, starting in verse 25, uh, feel free to turn there if you would like, a couple verses. Uh, Matthew 20, 25 the mother of the sons of Zebedee asked, can my son sit at your left hand and right hand? And his response to her kind of corrects her thinking. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to serve not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our freedom in Christ is, does not grant us the freedom to live to our flesh, to live selfishly for ourselves. It is a freedom to serve, and Christ was an example of that. And we are told that the law is not over our freedom to serve and our freedom to love our brothers. It is when you are seeking 
positions of authority, if you're seeking um, some, some better treatment, that's when you need to watch out that you don't buy it and devour each other. But when you live humbly and seek to serve one another, there's no law governing that. You are free to do that. To as, as much as the Spirit of the Lord puts on your heart, you have the freedom to live humbly and serve. Continue on into verse 16. But I say, this is Paul, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is saying, I mean, I mean, this is a letter. Remember, this is a letter written to a church that Paul loves. Your Bible was preserved for you by a God who loves you because your Bible is meant to be understood. Walking in the Spirit is not some higher Christian level of thinking. It's meant to be understood. And the fruit of the Spirit, you know, these terms that come later, are meant to be understood. This isn't meant to be a, well, what does it really mean to walk in the Spirit? Paul's writing it because he, he's hoping and he's expecting them to understand it. Um, so I believe that walking in the Spirit is something simple, something that can be easily explained, and it's something we can strive to attain. And if you disagree with me afterwards, please come up. Um, but walking in the Spirit means walking in the freedom that Christ has given you. Um, Paul said at the beginning uh, with 13, for freedom, for freedom Christ has set you free. Oh, sorry, the beginning of 5, chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set you free, and you are free to love your neighbor as yourself. Just Paul warns us not to use that freedom for ourselves. I mentioned last week that we, we are righteous before God, but we're constrained by time and space, and we don't get to see that righteousness until the end. That's why we need faith. Um, so you have a new spirit in you, a spirit that cries, Abba, Father, that desires to do the will of God, and you have this new nature. I have a new nature inside of me. But your new heart is in your old flesh. Your flesh still desires laziness, self-indulgence, and pride. So now, as a Christian, you live at war with your flesh. These are not two separate natures. You don't have a good side and a bad side. This isn't the good dog or the bad dog analogy that so many pastors have used. This is the, your flesh desires to sleep in instead of getting up early and reading your Bible. Your flesh desires to not be completely restrained and under control at all times. Your flesh, and a good example, I'll give an example that I was praying over was, nobody's flesh likes fasting. Nobody's flesh goes, yes, I love missing meals and feeling hungry and feeling weak. I, I enjoy that. Your flesh hates that, but your spirit loves that. Your spirit loves that, Lord, I can give this up and draw nearer to you. That's wonderful. So there is this dichotomy in, I have to deny the flesh that I still live in so I can get to walk in the spirit that's inside of me. Um, I struggle with, you know, road rage. <laughs> when someone cuts me off in Austin, when I drive anywhere in Austin, um, I, 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 you know, they don't pay attention, they cut me off, they brake too hard, and it is a struggle not to pop off and, and feed the desire of my flesh to respond the way I want to respond. And it is a blessing when the Lord allows me to restrain myself and I don't, you know, um, say the things that I want to say when someone cuts in front of me. 
But I can feel that something was held back. There was a, real, there was a, a physical response that wanted to happen, and I, my spirit had to be the thing that, that held that back. And, um, and that's normal. I mean, listen to how Paul says he has to treat his own body. Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24, starting in 9.24, Do you not know that, all ra- that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul himself says, even I have to force my body to be under control to my will, my Christian will that says, I want to follow God, must be what governs how my flesh behaves. And that takes effort. When you deny your flesh the comforts it desires and instead choose what God would have you do in a situation, there's no law governing that. And Paul's saying, the way your flesh wants to behave, you need to control that. You need to not feed that. But your freedom is to completely go with what the Spirit of Christ in you says. There's no restrictions there. Um, I was part of a church once, and there was a really mature brother, one of those guys that you just kind of shut up and sit and listen to. And we were talking about um, uh, you know, denying ourselves and dying to the flesh. And he had a lot of, like, you know, a lot of help and counsel. And uh, over the years, one of the things he mentioned was that he always took opportunities to embarrass himself. If he was ever in an embarrassing situation, and, and this isn't like shameful, foolish, childishness. This was like when his flesh didn't want to do something because it would embarrass him or it questioned his intelligence or it put him in a situation where he like, I can't really control the outcome. He would volunteer for it constantly because he did not want his flesh to determine what he did and didn't do. And he would force himself to be in embarrassing situations. Public speaking, public speaking. Uh, evangelize in kind of inopportune times, I'm going to say something in opportune times. And he forced himself to put his flesh down and made himself embarrassed in situations so that his flesh, the, that desire to not be embarrassed, would never govern his, his decisions. And I always felt that that was very helpful And this brother I really looked up to said, like, no, I have to put myself in these situations. Um, So continuing on verse 19 for Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This, when, when I was preparing, like, I think last time I was reading through Galatians 5 and I came across this list, I don't know how Chris and Kenzie do it. Sometimes I kind of debate exactly how I'm going to approach a text and, you know, am I going to dive deep on this verse? Is this going to help lead to the next? Kind of Where does it fall? And one of my initial thoughts was like, oh, Paul's kind of giving us a list. Maybe I should dive into each one and maybe find like the Levitical law that counteracts these, these things that were mentioned. And with the sensitive nature of having kids in the audience and a couple of the, the things on this list, I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to go through this. And, and this time going through, I realized, like, this is not an exhaustive list. Like, this isn't a complete list of your fleshly desires. Like, Paul even ends it with, and things like these. Like, like this is just, like, a small list of what your flesh desires. Um, and some of you may be reading that list going, not my flesh, 
Like I, even when I was lost, I didn't desire to do some of those things. I know people that have never been saved and that still have never had a desire to drink. Nope, not a drop in the world. They, nope, they don't, it's not Christ. They just don't want to do it. And again, this isn't an exhaustive list. This is a general list of kind of what your flesh wants to do and how your flesh wants to be pleased. Um, and, and I know that, you know, being angry, like what does it say, uh, violent outbursts? Let's see what it says. Fits, fits of anger, that's right. So fits of anger may not be like a strictly male problem, but it's like most men can relate that we have the desire to let our anger out in an unchecked manner. It's not wrong to be angry, and some situations should make you angry. It's wrong for your flesh to go, this anger is now going to dictate how I behave. This anger is now going to dictate how I respond to my wife or my kids or my coworkers. And for any of us that have allowed our anger to come out, we know it doesn't fulfill us. This doesn't gratify our soul. It's quite the opposite. We mourn because we have grieved the Spirit of God that dwells in us by submitting to our flesh. And, and what Paul is saying is, this is an, like, he, what he's saying with this general list is, it's going to be easy to find the people that, that just kind of live in the flesh, that, that don't... Um, that don't control themselves, that don't restrain themselves. It's going to be easy to see the, in the lives of people those that seek to please their flesh. And, and he's giving a, a general example. And by contrast, in opposite of that, in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Fruit of the Spirit. Um, some, I think almost everybody has been out to where we live. You guys kind of live out in the, I'd say, I'd say woods, because it's woods. but um, And we have maple trees and all different trees on the property. But we have these cool trees that I didn't know about until I moved out there. And they're Texas persimmon trees. These are not your typical persimmons that are like the big orange ones. These are like small and black, maybe like half the size of a golf ball. And they're all over. And you can recognize the tree. It's got a kind of a unique shape, and they're not very tall. Um, but you know, hey, there's the Texas persimmon tree. I'm going to get Texas persimmons from it. And they taste like molasses, and they make a big mess, and it's like a blueberry on steroids just with the messiness. But... Um, but you know that that's the fruit you're going to get from that. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember, he wants people to understand this. Um, like, what is it I tell the kids every time I get up and talk before them? I ask them, like, what is this? What is this? Logan, what is this? The Bible. Graham, what is the Bible? God's Word, okay. And what does the Bible tell us? Right? It tells us what God wants us to know about himself. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like some mystical code that we have to sit here and go, like, what does it really mean to have the fruit of the Spirit? Like, this is an agrarian society. Agriculture was part of everybody's daily life. So Paul is using an example and presenting it that he expects everybody to understand. Fruit. I expect everybody to understand fruit. You take the seed, you put it in the ground, and you're going to get back things from it. I take a Texas persimmon seed, I put it in the ground, and I get Texas persimmons. And what Paul is saying is the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. The fruit that's going to be produced is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, self-control. And he wants them to understand that that's going to be the fruit that comes from having the Spirit of God in you. And he's telling them that that fruit that it produces, free range. 
you don't have to trim it. You don't have to have any, any concern with it because there's no law against that fruit. So with the fruit of the Spirit, Paul does give us some, an exhaustive list. He does mention every single point that he wants to hit. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to the Galatian church. This is one of the letters that was preserved throughout the history. God wants us to know each of these particular attributes of walking the Christian life, there is no restraining on. He starts with love. So Paul is telling you, Christian, the Galatian Christian, you can be as loving as you want towards your neighbor. There is no law restraining the amount of love that you get to show towards others. The Christian can be as joyful as he wants to be, as he desires to be. There is no law restraining the joy that the Christian gets to experience. And this isn't just joy in the Lord or joy in the Bible or joy in scriptural things. There's no carnal and, and there's no sacred and secular for the Christian life. I get to delight and be joyful from the truths of scripture and from my kids giggling. I get to be joyful from eating Texas persimmons and listening to Chris or Kenzie preach. I get to be joyful because there's no restraining on my joy. I don't get to put things outside of their proper place. That would be, that would be sinful. But, but putting something second to God in its appropriate place, I get to delight in it and find joy in that. And there's no restraint to how much joy the Christian gets to have. The Christian can have peace. The Christian can have peace regardless of what the outward circumstances dictate. There's no law saying you shouldn't be peaceful when your family has cancer. You shouldn't be peaceful when your children are lost. You shouldn't be peaceful when you lost your job. There's no law. The Christian gets to have peace everywhere. And there's no limit to the amount of peace that the Christian gets to have. Now, for parents that are concerned, I have been too patient with my children. I have, I have given them a degree of patience that I think has broken some kind of law. I have responded patiently to my children over the years, and I think I may have taken it too far. Paul is telling you there is no level, there is no law restraining the patience you get to have. Patience doesn't mean you don't correct. We see Paul um, correcting the Galatian church here, but we don't see Paul being impatient with the Galatian church here. So patience is not restrained. There's no limit to the amount of patience you get to have. And for husbands in the audience that think, I have been too kind to my wife. I have responded with kindness too often. I have lavished kindness upon her. And I think I may have broken one of the laws of God by being far too kind to my wife. I am here to tell you, you're good. Continue to be kind to your wife. There is no limit to how much kindness you get to display towards your spouse towards your neighbor, towards the lost even. Faithfulness, again, no restriction. Goodness, no limit. No law telling you on how good you can be. No law telling you you need to have your faithfulness in check. You can't be too faithful. You can't be too faithful in church. You can't be too faithful to your spouse. You can't be too faithful to your job. You can't go to your job and be faithful with everything your boss has given you for the glory of God and fear I'm taking it too far. No worry. There's no law that governs that. Gentleness. Now, gentleness doesn't mean an absence of firmness. 
Paul is being gentle with the Galatian church. He's applying the appropriate amount of firmness in this rebuke he's giving them. But what Paul is telling you is that there is no limit to how gentle that you can be. Different situations may have limits based on what's around you, but you don't have to worry that you're being too gentle. And certain people in your life in certain situations may require a degree of gentleness that you don't want to do. You might say, I I don't want to be gentle with them. They just need to toughen up and grow up and be a man. And while that's possible that that could be the appropriate response, usually it's a lack of gentleness and a desire to feed the flesh that would keep you from being gentle in those situations, not a law of God restraining you. Self-control. Self-control means the flesh does not act without your conscious, biblically filtered will prompting it to act. For many of us, whether it's treating our children too harshly, responding to our spouse in an unkind manner, or making a comment in front of our coworkers that we wish we could take back, that can all be chalked up to a lack of self-control. And for the Christian, there is no limit to how much control over self that you get to express. There is no law that restricts the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You're told, don't feed the desires of the flesh. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, you're not given a cap. Continuing on in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Believer, don't hear this and immediately think, I haven't crucified the flesh with its desires. I have been unkind with my spouse. I have been impatient with my children. I have not been gentle with my coworkers. Well, this isn't talking about me. Like... You don't get to see it completed until it's completed. It's not over till it's over. I mean, it's, it's John 1, 2, John 1, 1 John 2, 1 exists for a reason. Uh, old, remember, old man John, like this is an, an older John who's walked the walk for a long time, says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always, oh, oh sorry, wrong one. <laughs> he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You are not going to do these perfectly. That's why it's a process. There's, sanctification is a process. The Christian life isn't finished until it's actually finished. In Philippians, Paul tells us, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Your salvation is complete. It's finished. The stamp has been sealed. But you don't get to receive it yet until you die. What is it Kenzie went over today? Irresistible. Wait, which one was it? Irresistible. Sorry. Irresistible grace. It's irresistible. It's done. It's been given to you. You can't give it back. Now walk in the newness of spirit but I have to walk in this flesh and I'm going to make mistakes. Then get up and do it again. But what if I make a mistake? Get up and do it again. When will this be over? It'll be over when it's over, but it's not over. Get up and do it again. Twenty-five. Closing closing out Galatians 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The Galatian church was real. Like they were a real church with real people in them. They had real struggles. And Paul goes through these struggles and says like, hey, the, Jew, the, the circumcision party comes in and you had to deal with them. These other people deal with them. I had to deal with them. 
And, and, and you, you don't understand this part of the law? Let me explain it to you. You don't understand this part of righteousness? Let me explain it to you. You don't understand where circumcision falls? Let me explain it to you. And in this closing, in this exhortation Paul's giving them, he knows I'm talking to a real church. I'm talking to a church that's going to have issues. So he encourages them, keep in step with the Spirit. There is a Spirit inside of you, and it will direct you and guide you. Living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is saying, Lord, what would you have me do in any given situation? Okay, but I really don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. It's very complex. It's very technical. Lord, what do I do? Ask. I mean, we were told in James, for if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. The Spirit of God in you wants you to perform what it is he has called you to perform, and he provides everything. He's provided the salvation. You don't need to work for that. He's provided the indwelling spirit so you can be guided by that. He's promised to answer your prayers. He tells you, you have not, not because I've withheld something from you, but you have not because you ask not. So ask, Lord, how would you have me do this? And then do it. But it's going to be hard. Yeah, put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's going to be hard. But you've been given the tools to do it. And I love this last part. I love this last part because I struggled with so many of these things early, early on in my being saved. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is a church. It's a body. It's real people. You're going to know how to push each other's buttons. You're going to know how to offend each other. And as much as we love each other on Sundays, there's going to come a day where I have to make the decision. Do I make that joke in front of Chris? knowing that it's probably going to bug him? Or do I just keep my mouth quiet? You know? Do I ask Kenzie to come do this for me when I know it's going to uh, cause issues? Or, 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 or do I not do it? Or should I go over to brother so-and-so's house and take care of this thing that he needs taken care of? Doesn't matter what it is. Knowing that it's costing me a Saturday? Yes, you, 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 you do what you're supposed to do and you don't provoke one another. Because you can provoke one another. It's easy. I mean, this is a family. This is the body of Christ. I have a younger brother, as I mentioned last week, and I guarantee you within five seconds, I could have him throwing stuff at me because I know how to push his buttons. And Paul is saying, you're going to have that kind of relationship with your church. Don't do it. And don't envy one another. It is easy to see sister so-and-so raised up to some position that you wanted. Maybe you wanted to play the piano and you're like, nobody's ever asked me to play the piano. I'm going to be envious of Kendra because she gets to play the piano. I'm not envious. I'm jealous. I don't get to play piano. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I could preach. Why can't I preach? You know, I could do this. Why can't I do this? The, the devil will use your thoughts and, your, your, and other people's comments. People have said things to me. Pastors have said things to me. And I have taken it the wrong direction and stewed on it for weeks until finally I was about to explode. And when I confessed it and brought it before them, they're like, I never knew I said that. I will give an example. This is a this is a silly example, but I'm going to be embarrassed in my own flesh, right? When I had first moved to the San Antonio church, James Jennings and I kind of, you know, hit, we hit it off and I was talking with him. He's one of the few people I knew when I first moved there. And, you know, you move to a new town, you get a new job, and I got a San Antonio phone number. So I went down, got a phone number, and I got a phone. And it was like one of the note phones. It was just really big. It was like when big phones were first becoming popular. And I had this big phone, right? I thought it was cool, you know. And, and I pulled it out at church one Sunday, and James goes, brother, that's a big phone. And that's all he said. 
And I internalized that and was like, he thinks I'm wasting my money. He thinks I'm being sinful. He thinks, he thinks I'm being foolish with my resources. And I would go weeks. You know, so I, had to go, I worked in the oil field, so I was gone for weeks. And I'd come back. And every Sunday I'd come back. I'd have, I'd have my phone out. I think my Bible was on my phone. That's why I had it out a lot. And James would always go, wow, brother, that's a really big phone. <laughs> and he said that to me so many times. I sold the phone, bought a smaller phone so that I could like, carry around this like, tiny little iPhone. And I was like, okay, good. You know, I feel better now. And I was at his house for dinner one night, and I pulled out my tiny iPhone, and he's like, oh, man, you need, you're a big guy. You need a bigger phone than that. And I, I about threw my plate, and I explained the whole thing to him. And he laughed, and he goes, brother, I'd just never seen a phone that big. That's all I was saying. Like, it had nothing to do with it. I had built that up in my head. And Paul is saying, you can do that. You can build this stuff up in your head. You can envy one another. You can offend one another. You can think, oh, somebody, don't. Do it. Keep short accounts with each other. I mean, what's the Bible say? If you know a brother has an offense against you, stop what you're doing and go make it right. It's, it's not on them, it's on you. And so Paul is giving very practical examples, very practical. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Do what the Lord would have you do. Don't give yourself the, the, the benefit of the desire of the flesh. Well, how do I do that? Ask. You have the indwelling Spirit. He will guide you. Well, I'm in a church. Yeah, you're in a church. Submit to one another. Love one another. Don't provoke or envy one another. It's going to be easy to do that. Don't let Satan have that in among you. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time and this opportunity to be before your people. Please bless us as we take the Lord's Supper. Give us wisdom to honor you and walk in the Spirit as you would dictate. Amen.